Well, today we are going to continue our series on what's the big deal. We've been dealing with various expectations for those who are in the body of Christ and particularly those who are committed participants. We dealt with some of the common objections to this notion. In fact, uh, for me, I told you in the uh, first message that when I told my wife we're going to be talking about, you know, membership to a church and, you know, committed participants, she goes, man, that's going to really be boring. Well, she, she said the words to me that every husband longs to hear. She said, I guess I was wrong. And it's, it's very interesting that, and I don't know what to make of this, but we've had over a thousand downloads and listens to this series on our website, as our website tracks it. I'm not sure what that says, but apparently it has hit some kind of a spot that uh, people have an interest. We have identified some biblical responsibilities that all members are to take. For instance, uh, responsibility for our own spiritual health. Everybody is responsible to care for themselves spiritually, regardless of what leadership does, regardless what my family does, regardless what, how my parents raised me, uh, what my spouse does. We are responsible for our spiritual health. And we investigated that concept and talked about it. We also talked about contributing to the unity of the body of Christ, that we're responsible to maintain quality relationships. And we talked about how we're also responsible to use our gifts for the mission in the body of Christ. And today, you knew it was coming, we're going to be talking about stewardship or giving. So hold on to your horses. But to kind of open it up, to have you relax a little bit about it, let's take a look at this. I give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy... I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. <laughs> I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? I only agreed to make this video if they promise not to tell you who I am. I mean, it's really none of your business. And it's also none of your business how much I give. I, I'm not going to brag about it, okay? I mean, yeah, it's cool. I just got married and I have a kid, okay? And sure, you know, we get around. We're doing okay. But look, who I am and what I give is it's between God and I, okay? I mean, the sacrifices I make are between me and God, and my reward is in heaven. So look, don't try to figure out who I am or what I give, because honestly, it's, it's none of your business. I tithe. Okay, that's a lie. I don't tithe. I want to tithe. That's a lie, too. I don't even think about it. But seriously, you think God's up there like with a big old checklist going, hey, you tithe, you don't tithe? I don't buy that at all. Okay, I kind of buy that. Because what I say, give to God what is God's, and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. 
I don't even know any Caesars. That's a lie. I know four Caesars, even the little one. Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha has the fun left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-mi taken a W-A-L-K, huh? <laughs> what if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And, 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 it's, and it's promised. It's guaranteed. I know what you're saying. There's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 310. So what it says in the Old Testament. It says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, up right up there. He keeps giving. I can't outgive God. How crazy is that? <laughs> Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. <laughs> crazy, isn't it? It works, though. How do you think I afforded that house in Tahiti? <laughs> oh, what time is it? It's tithing time. I tithe. But just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts. I buy some. Boom. That's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom. That's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening. And they were charging $25 for child care. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friend's a tithe. I, w I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would, I would consider giving something, but not now's crazy. We're, we're, we're going to give later. We've already talked about it. I mean, down the road, we'll be crazy givers, but right now it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money, that's a fact. But you know what, it's a hard thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more, I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, what's this, what's this? Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns, come on, you want it? Come on, pastor, do what I say, huh? Oh, in my life, Lord, be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. I hope it doesn't interfere. But that everyone can hear how I give with cheer. That everyone could be like me. Hopefully we can relax a little bit as we talk about this topic. Stewardship is a biblical topic. Did you know that as far as references to finances or possessions, there are over 2,300 references in the Bible to just that topic alone? Would you believe me if I told you that more is said in the New Testament about money than about heaven and hell combined? Would you believe me if I said there's five times more said in the Bible about money than prayer? 
Isn't that something? Obviously, the Bible has much to say about this topic. But I think we'd have to all agree that there is a great amount of consternation, particularly when a church brings this topic up. Because we usually go to one of two extremes when we talk about this. We either are sheepishly impish and wusses when it comes to bringing this, never bringing it up, or we go to the other end and we become blatantly suspicious of any time a Christian leader talks about money. I'd like to think that there is a happy medium to where we can look at it from a good biblical perspective, a healthy perspective, and to where we realize that this does fall under stewardship, just like any other area of our lives. Can we agree with that? Can we start from that point? Let me, let me just say something, though, about tithing. This is not my topic today, tithing. Uh, and I'll tell you why. It's because I don't think tithing is taught in the New Testament for believers. I'll just say it. You heard it. There it is. All right? The Old Testament tithe, if we were to do it like the Old Testament taught it, would be 23 and a third percent. When's the last time you heard a pastor talk about 23 and a third percent? I've only know of one person who told me about this, that their church taught that 23 and a third percent. And it was a legalistic setting. But typically, pastors will say, you got to give 10%, right? You've probably heard that. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say this. Command us to tithe. The tithe, you see, in the Old Testament was used to fund the theocracy of Israel, to fund the temple services, and to fund the government of Israel. 23 and a third percent. So you know what a tithe is? It's a tax. The tithe is the tax. And every one of us here in America tithe, Christian or not. We just don't see it as that. It's actually a tax. But along with that, there's also free will giving, voluntary giving. It was true before the tithe was mentioned in the Old Testament. It was true during the tithe. And it's true even in the New Testament, there is free will giving. And I think that is what the New Testament is about. It's not about a set percentage. Now, it's not wrong to give, if, you, if God leads you to give a set percentage, it's not wrong to give that. But I'd have to say that's not the reason or the target or the bullseye of our giving. It's not about a percentage. So what I'd like to do today is set in line for us a set of principles that might help us to build a proper foundation for understanding this area. Why? I'll tell you why. I'll just come right out and say it. Every one of us is responsible to. Under the Lordship of Christ, I am responsible to use all my resources, time, treasure, and talent for the glory of God. Under the, under the Lordship of Christ, I'm responsible to use my time for Christ, right? Under the Lordship of Christ, I'm responsible to use my relationships. Everything falls under his Lordship. So all we want to know is, what does he say about this? That's all. Okay, this is not a heavy-handed thing. I'm not going to pull out some giving campaign here in five minutes to let you know, you know what you can give to. That's not it. We are just wanting to know the biblical foundation.
for what the Bible has to say about this in regards to stewardship, okay? Here's the first thing. And it really, I think it all hinges on this first principle, that stewardship acknowledges that God is the owner of everything. God is the owner of our time, our treasure, and our talent. First Chronicles 29, 14 says, For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. All I possess and give in terms of time, treasure, and talent have been given to me by God. Every penny I earn is ultimately because God has been good to me and allowed me the opportunity to be employed to work. Every breath I take is given to me by by God. I have to realize that he owns it all. He doesn't just own 10%. He owns it all. I am the receiver. He is the giver. We do not own our possessions. We are trustees or managers of our possessions. We see this constantly throughout the scripture. In Luke 16, where it talks about the parable of the dishonest manager who was responsible to the owner, and the dishonest manager then would parallel us, and the owner would parallel God. You say, well, how's that? Are we dishonest managers? No. But here's the point of the story. The owner was thankful for a dishonest manager for making him money. How much more by comparison then would a good God want to bless his children who faithfully use their possessions for his honor and glory. If a dishonest manager is blessed and his owner, who by the way was kind of shady, if he's going to reward that dishonest guy, how much more will a good God who has abundant resources bless his people when they are faithful with their stuff? Jesus said in Luke 16 to kind of Bring home that story, verses 10 through 13. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. I was reading a story this year of a postman in Edinburgh. 23-year-old postman who was arrested for stashing over 1,500 letters and parcels, packages, in his apartment. He was a disgruntled employee who had his route changed. And he said it was the stress of the job that moved him to steal and keep this stuff in his house. Now, we see that as an egregious act. Why? Because he doesn't own it. It's not his stuff. He was given the responsibility to just deliver the packages at the behest of the original owners. I want to suggest to you that we will be prone to misuse possessions unless we recognize God as the owner. Psalm 24.1 says, The world is the Lord's and all that is in it. I really don't think we believe that. I think the bottom line is we really don't Believe it. I mean, I speak in this way, and you probably do too, when I say it's, it's my house, it's my car, it's my stereo. I even speak of my wife, my kids, as if I own them, and I don't. It really, if we're going to be technical theologically, it's, it's a misnomer. It's a, 
I don't own those things. God does. I don't own my wife and kids. They are God's. And who owns the stuff makes a big difference in how we approach life. Does it not? When I own it, I can do whatever I want with it. When God owns it, I have to confer with him. Now, that doesn't mean if God owns it that he wants us to give it all away, 100% of it, and, and not pay our bills. I'm not saying that. You're not to stiff people who you owe money to. That's not the point at all. It's not the concept of 10% is God's and 90% is mine. It's all God's. So what that means is that in everything, I recognize God. I, I filter it through what he wants me to do, how we, he wants me to handle it. That means I, I'm a good steward of my, of my bills, and I, I want to pay that on time. I'm, I'm a good steward of providing for my family, and I'm a good steward of, of giving when I need to give. But there's something that we have to battle in this regard. And it's that, it's that sense of ownership where we take it even further and we start grabbing at stuff. We, 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 we desire the stuff. We love the stuff. And you know what the Bible calls that? And we are so influenced by this, particularly in our culture, it's called materialism. In fact, in Revelation 3, verses 17 through 18, it talks about this. And our point is that Christians have to be on guard against the self-deception and rationalization that comes with living in an affluent society, which is what we're in. Now, this is not a guilt trip that because we're Americans, we need to feel guilty about it. No, because we're Americans, let's realize that we've been blessed and let's use it wisely. That's the point. But the Laodiceans were blessed and they got lazy. This is what it says in Revelation 3, 17 through 18. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Now, he's not talking about gold in the sense of literal gold. He's talking about their faith. He wanted refined by fire. It'll be valued even more than gold. So that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The danger here is that they were being lulled into complacency because of the affluence. And Jesus wanted their faith refined he wanted them to have white garments, which means that he wanted their desire for holiness to rule in their life. And he wanted them to have a salve over their eyes so that they could have clear vision to see the materialism of their culture and even in their own hearts. They had an abundance of material possessions, but it says they were wretched and poor blind and naked, speaking of their spiritual state. And materialism is blinding. And by the way, it's not about how much you have. It's not that those who live in a house over $200,000, they're materialistic and everybody under is not. Okay, we cannot draw those kinds of distinctions. It's a matter of what is in the heart. We think of ourselves when we're in this state, when we're blind, we think of ourselves as without need. We think that maybe we really worked hard for it and the other guy who's in need would become less sensitive to. And we think, you know, if he'd only work, 
If you don't need to handle his money like I did, and we start becoming desensitized to the needs of others, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We think of ourselves as without need, and God is kind of shoved to the edges. And our spiritual condition, our influence in the kingdom when we're in this state is wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And again, most individuals in this country and most churches, regardless of size, could fit, according to the world standards, into that affluence category. Could we not? I mean, all you got to do is go to another country and you realize how rich we really are, how blessed we really are as a culture. And my friends, I guess here's the point. The power and the success of a church is not about those things. Do we understand that? It is not by the show that's on the stage. It is not by the personalities up on the stage. It is not by the box office receipts, if I can be so crude about it. The money and the numbers, that is not the sign of God's presence. But I'm not sure we really believe that. Because we are so prone to equate, well, God must really be moving because they got this many people or they've really grown. Well, really, that's not the indication. You have to look at the quality of the lives. And if you look under the covers and you see unholy lives and materialism, that's not the kind of thing that God blesses. You can be affluent and blind and naked and pitiful, spiritually speaking. Now, being affluent doesn't necessitate that you're blind, but it does cause us to be tempted right? Proverbs 22, one says, a good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. Proverbs 23, four, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. I was sharing with Janet just last week that I had some things that I was creating this list in my mind of things that I wanted to get, you know, we're trying to get on the other side of a wedding for one of our kids next week. And, you know, you got a lot of money going out for that. And, I'm thinking, man, you know, I can't wait till all that's done. And I, there's a gun that I'd like to get. There's new siding on the house I'd like. To, I'm just trying to be honest here. New siding on the house. And there's a, a new car that I've got. Not a new car, but a used one, nice, you know, used one that I've got my sights set on. And I'm thinking about these things. I just say, you know, I can't wait. Man, it's going to be so nice to have this. I'm sure none of you can relate to this. Um, and, and, I, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not just wishing for it. I'm thinking a lot about it. You know, and I'm, I'm rating the vehicles and I'm comparing the guns and, you know, I'm doing all this and I'm spending a lot of time thinking about this stuff. And I actually, I, I, it wasn't an audible voice. It was like the Holy Spirit just saying to me, hey, hold your horses here short. Usually he calls me by my last name. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't want all of your attention on the stuff. And I just really had to confess it. I had to admit, you know what? I think I've, I've been materialistic here. It's not wrong to want to get any of that stuff. It really isn't. And you know, and you have to make plans and you have to compare. But for me, 
where my heart was, where my heart was headed, you know, it was kind of consuming me. Proverbs 38 and 9 says, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Isn't that a, a great balanced approach? Just give me enough. Just, just, just give me enough to where, you know, I'm not always in constant need, but I'm also not tempted with a bunch of stuff. I like that approach. Materialism can very easily steal away the commitment of the servant of Christ. And it happens so deceptively for us. Because what happens is that relationships maybe begin to erode at the altar of success because I want to pursue success so much. There's a, just a little shift in the heart where I put serving in the Christ in the category of, yeah, you know, that's, 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 that's a good thing. But it's not at the top of the list, if I were to be honest with myself. And by the way, Satan doesn't want you to be cold about this stuff. He just wants you to be lukewarm so that you won't notice. You're comfortable, but you're spiritually sedated. Listen, we cannot romance materialism. We have to hate it. We cannot justify materialism. We have to run from it. And by the way, you can't just run from materialism into empty arms. We have to embrace contentment. And contentment is being satisfied with God's provision to meet my true needs. Now, the Bible depicts contentment not as a circumstance. In other words, I'm not content because I have so much money or when I have this thing or that thing. No, contentment is an attitude, it's a state of the heart. When my heart is right, when I'm satisfied with the presence of God and what he's done for me, I can be content in any circumstance. No matter what my bank account says, whether or not I got the promotion, I can be content. And perhaps the biggest deception for us is that we think we need a certain amount of money to be content. You know, we begin making the equation, if only I had this, then I'd be happy. And this always equates into some kind of material possession. But if basic needs, food, water, shelter are taken care of, can we not be content? Well, this is, this is the scriptural record. Let's just look at it. First Timothy 6, 8 says, and if we have food and covering with these, read it with me, we shall be content. Hmm. Hebrews 13, 5. You know, these are verses, by the way, you don't want to read when you're in the middle of a building campaign. No, actually, I'm teasing you. These are the kinds of things we must look at squarely, right? And leave it in the hearts of people to respond and not manipulate with some kind of false guilt. L listen to what Hebrews 13.5 says. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. 
And he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Well, why does he tack that on there to the end of this discussion on contentment? Why? Well, because I'm satisfied with the presence of God. And I, I realize he'll never leave me or desert me. You know what? I'll, I'll, just, I'll just confess it to you here, okay? <laughs> Not a confession, it's just reality. But when, when Janet and I first got married, I made 10 grand a year as a youth pastor. We lived in a flat in St. Louis. You'll love this. We paid 115 bucks a month. That, that included utilities. We were as happy as larks. Didn't have a need in the world as far as food and covering everything. And we loved it. And you know what changed? Moved to Denver, started making a lot more money. And things just kind of got complicated. And needs began to expand. Uh, needs began to expand. And it's funny how contentment became more of a struggle at that point. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. Whatever. In any circumstance, God can provide his peace. When I submit my will to his, when I recognize he owns it all, I can be content with that. Hmm. I was sharing a story in the first service. This doesn't relate to money, but it speaks to the idea of contentment. You've, some of you that have been here a while, you've heard me tell this story before that uh, when Janet was pregnant with our twins, we had to go to St. Louis to see a, a doctor because uh, one twin was half the size of the other. And the doctor told us, it's probably not going to make it. Didn't give us much hope. And for about an hour, we just cried from the drive to St. Louis to Springfield. And somewhere around Rolla, I finally had had enough. And I'd said, honey, we can't do this anymore. Let's stop this right now. That was my sensitive part coming out. Um, <laughs> and I said, we have got to accept the fact that if God takes this child, that's in his hands. And we're going to be okay with that. If he gives them to us, we're going to be okay with that. If something is wrong with them, we're going to have to be okay with that. It'll hurt, maybe hard, but we are going to be content with whatever God does for us. Painful, yes, but we can be content with that. And from that point on, we honestly did not struggle with it. It was hard, but we didn't struggle with it as far as with God, and we just accepted it. There were a lot of surgeries after that. It's just, Lord knows, it's in his hands. And he provided for us. Be content in whatever circumstance. So as a good steward, I have to recognize that God is the owner and that I am to manage all that he has given me in time, treasure, and talent, right? Okay? And as a good steward, I find contentment in any circumstance. A good steward manages all the things that he's given because God is the owner, and a good steward manages his own heart because God is the source of contentment and I have to find my contentment in him. So I'm managing the things and my heart. 
And our last principle is, to kind of bring it home, stewardship also means that believers are to set aside a portion of their income to give to God's work. And such giving is to be regular, proportionate, generous, and with joy. Notice we did not say has to give a certain percentage because that's not the target. The target from the New Testament, regular, proportionate, generous, and with joy. Here's the biblical record, 1 Corinthians 16.2. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. And then Paul talks about how he was going to collect what had been given. And apparently what had taken place there earlier that the Corinthians had promised to respond to the needs of another group, but they didn't follow through with it. And he said, and it was encouraging them that, hey, I'm going to come and make good on that promise. And Paul admonishes them to finish what they desired by putting aside their gift. The church was to set aside each individual as he may prosper, it said. As he may prosper. He didn't say a percentage. It was to be proportionate. According to each individual in their heart before the Lord. It's not for the person next to you to grade. It's between you and the Lord. Proportionate to how good God has been to you in this regard. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 10 through 12 adds, And I give my opinion in this matter, and for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. Paul just encourages them to give what they can. God will honor their faithfulness. So, now, there's a very important principle here then. We're to give regularly, and I think this is because it reminds us that God is the owner. Every time you write that check or put the cash in the envelope or however you do it, and whoever you give it to, it reminds you, okay, God, you've been very good to me. You've given me all things to manage. I want to give you this portion to recognize your ownership. I want to be a good manager. And every gift ought to be done with that kind of a prayer and that kind of an acknowledgement. And we're also to give proportionately, acknowledging, listen, God does not rate your giving compared to what others give. He, he rates your giving according to your own ability to be generous. Remember the widow in Mark 12 where it says if she gave this widow's mite, just a very small portion, but that was huge for her because she was in poverty, right? In the kingdom of God, it's those who sacrifice who will be rewarded the most. In Matthew 19, 30, it says, many who are first will be last, speaking of in heaven, and the last first. And so we're to give with a generous heart, sacrificially. What does that mean? What you sacrifice, listen, when you actually have to make an adjustment in your lifestyle. It's one thing to just give incidentally. It's another thing to give in such a way where you're so generous, you might actually have to give up something. You might actually have to to make an adjustment. That's really the spirit here. When you sacrifice out of worship to God, it costs you something. You're moved to, to truly make an adjustment. Otherwise, the giving is just incidental. Giving is to be generous and from the heart, 
I love what it said of David and his leaders. You remember when they were building the temple? And by the way, it said that David actually told them to stop giving because people were giving so much to build the temple. Isn't that crazy? Hold on. Can't take any more. This is what it says. Part of it was because the leaders had set such a good example in 1 Chronicles 29.9. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. I love that. Freely and wholeheartedly. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 13, it says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. There was this generous outpouring of giving And it was a way to glorify God and to meet needs. And the more I see God glorified and the more needs that are met, the more I want to give. And that is the fuel for the believer in Jesus Christ. It's not this obligation to give a percentage. And if you start there, there's nothing wrong with that. But the target is out of a heart that worships God, wants to be generous, and just respond out of a generous heart. And listen, the the temptation is for any Christian leader to say, thou shalt give a certain percentage. And I've heard the, I, just about every pastor is guilty of it. And it, you, you, you put this thing upon people, this obligation. And that is not the heart of it. It's not. Besides it not even being biblical. You know, leaders ought to be challenged. Can you not trust God to move in the hearts of people? You talk about being dependent on the Holy Spirit. Why don't you believe the Holy Spirit's actually moving the hearts of people to give what they feel led to give instead of obligating them? Now, you're obligated to God to fulfill these principles, but that's between you and God, right? Yeah, that's where the faith will really be shown. <laughs> Second Corinthians 8, verse 8 and 9 says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. He makes it clear to the Corinthians, this is not a command, but a response to what God has done. Listen, we give well when we worship well. We give well when we understand the grace of God that has been poured out upon our lives. God wants us to give out of hearts of appreciation. You know, we are, this is really not too difficult to figure out. You know, you, you, if, if you were to give a present to your spouse, and, and, you know, and when you give it to him, just say, well, here you go. I know this is what you wanted. Feel obligated to do this. There. Boy. Going to really love that. That's that special romantic moment right there. No, but when it's overflowing, you just say, you know, babe, you've been so good to me. I I just want to give you something to let you know how much you mean to me. Here, take this. Is that really hard to figure out? God is our father. We are in relationship with him. And that's the heart And do you think at that point, it matters how much you spent? That's really not the issue. It's our heart. It's our heart. 
just responding to how good he's been. All disciples of Jesus Christ are to acknowledge that they are stewards, that God is the owner. We are given a responsibility to take care of the stuff that he has given us, time, treasure, and talent. We are to guard against the materialism so that our hearts are free to give as God prompts, right? And then we're to give regularly, sacrificially, and from the heart as an act of worship. So God, I pray that you'd help us today as a people that this may be our goal in giving, not an amount so much as it is getting our hearts in the right place. Father, thank you that we can talk about these things. I pray for each individual here that they can begin to enjoy their possessions. And Lord, you've freed us to enjoy the things that we have. There's nothing wrong with that. You've also given us freedom to to give, to influence the kingdom of God, to help, to meet needs. May we just respond freely. Forgive me and us where maybe we've done this in a way where it's, if there's been any coercion, anything that's man-centered, reveal it to us, Lord, that we can step away from that kind of stuff and we can truly believe you and depend on you to meet our needs, even as a church. Thank you for this time today. May your truth ring true in our hearts and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.